Okay, once again in uh, the Gospel according to Mark, I'm going to go ahead and read several passages uh, this morning uh, because Mark kind of places a uh, uh, little... Uh, little vignettes in in this whole narrative here in chapter 14 that all work together to picture what's going on with uh, Peter. And uh, the sermon this morning is uh, entitled The Sifting of Peter. And we will uh, talk about that uh, terminology in just a moment. But uh, before I read, I want to go again, though, to the Lord in prayer. And please pray with me and ask the Lord to enable us to uh, be clear and powerful in the preaching of his word and that he would speak to your hearts as well. Now, our Father, once again, I come to you realizing that I am utterly helpless and in desperate need of your anointing. Your people also must have the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit to open their hearts and minds to receive the word, for it to speak to the deep need of their hearts. Please, Lord, speak to us today. We thank you again for your word and the power of it and the life-giving force that is in it alone. And I pray that that force would bring life into each one of us and that we'd be moved and transformed and taught and built up by the word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, let's listen to God's eternal word. Beginning in verse 27, I'll read verse 27 through 31. We're in Mark chapter 14. Verse 27 through uh, 31. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble. The word stumble there is uh, uh, the word from which we get uh, scandalized. You'll all be scandalized because of me. And, uh, and you will be made to disappear. To, uh, and he, he quotes from Zechariah. He says, uh, because of me this night, for it is written... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And so they're going to flee from him. Verse 28. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today... Even this night, <coughs> before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, 
If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, likewise. Then in uh, <clears throat> verse 37, then he came, and this is while Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, and he has uh, brought Peter, James, and John with him, and he is in a great agony. There's a spiritual battle that's going on there. Uh, and Jesus is uh, in agony in spirit <clears throat> and in his fleshly body. And he says, uh, he said there in, uh, in verse 34, and he said to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Stay here and watch. So he's brought Peter, James, and John with him into Gethsemane. And after he prayed the first time, <clears throat> he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, <clears throat> now he singles out Peter here. I'm sorry, my, <clears throat> I'm getting a little chugged up here. But, but he, he singles out Peter and he says, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Now, this is the guy that just got through saying, if I have to die with you, I won't deny you. And Jesus says, can you not watch? Can you not pray for one hour? <clears throat> and, uh, and he said, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The Spirit Indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then in, uh, <clears throat> and, and this happens two more times, of course. He goes and finds them sleeping. Then in verse number 47, one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now this is, during the time when Judas has betrayed Jesus with a kiss and the multitude has come and seized him. And now we come to verse number 50 <clears throat> uh, uh, through 51. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body and the young man laid hold of young men laid hold of him and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked and uh, many authors most authors I think or uh, or commentators believe that is Mark speaking of himself and uh, then we come to verses 66 through 72. So all of uh, Peter has uh, uh, said that he's not going to deny Jesus no matter what. Then he is uh, not able to watch and pray for even one hour. And, uh, and so then it comes down to this passage that we've already read, verse 66. Now, as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw Peter warming himself, he, she looked at him, 
and said, You also were with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed, and the servant girl saw him again. And began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them, but he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you're a Galilean, and your speech shows it. <clears throat> I don't know if uh, uh, so maybe that meant he had a Galilean accent. So, you know, like people ask me, where are you from? I say, I'm from New York. <laughs> and they uh, no, you're not. Well, you know, my, my accent betrays me. I'm from East Tennessee. Well, Peter, maybe that was his accent that uh, caused them to say that. Then he began to curse and swear. I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed. Then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. Now Luke says that uh, Jesus turned and looked on Peter. At this point, Jesus turns and they make eye contact. And uh, his testimony, J J Luke's testimony is that uh, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Acts, excuse me, Luke chapter 22 and verse number 31 and 34, 31 through 34. I got to get 22, I got 30, 23. All right. <clears throat> And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. <clears throat> but he said, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. And so this is uh, what's actually going on here is the crushing or the sifting of Peter, the sifting of a good man, a, the sifting of one who was uh, <clears throat> determined, determined to follow Jesus. One who was determined to stand with Jesus. One who was willing when the multitude came to arrest Jesus and lay hold of him, he was willing to pull his sword and swing for the head and uh, uh, maybe his aim was a little off and he cut off Malchus, the servant of the high priest's ear. And of course, you know the story that Jesus 
uh, healed that ear. So it's obvious that Peter is not uh, in that moment afraid of death. But it's easy, it's easy to say what you won't do <laughs> when you're not faced with those uh, circumstances. And uh, I uh, found myself in the same situation. You know, I've uh, often told about being in Mexico with the cartel and uh, how the, the uh, drug cartels would sometimes surround us with weapons and things. And sometimes they would interrogate us and, and uh, ask what we were doing and things. And, uh, and I, I took it, you know, I didn't, I don't think, I don't remember ever being nervous. Probably I was, but I don't remember ever being nervous. But I tell that story, you know, and I'm the hero of my own stories. <laughs> and then a few weeks ago, I went to visit a sick couple and uh, there was a, an incident with a little bitty woman about so high and I came here under a panic attack. You see, it's, it's one thing <laughs> to say, I would lay down my life for you. It's another thing having to live and face trials and face hardships, face disappointments. Peter is, uh, and the rest of the disciples, there is some disappointment here because they're still stuck on this idea that the Messiah is coming to set up a visible kingdom and uh, excommunicate Rome, kick them out, get rid of Rome, and set up the kingdom with its, with its uh, uh, center in Jerusalem and uh, the, bring the glory of God on the whole world. They're still thinking along those lines, even after the resurrection, and Jesus is about to ascend in Acts chapter number one, they're still asking the same thing. Will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And so this is, uh, uh, this is a great disappointment to them that Jesus has now been arrested. He has managed up until this time to escape from all their attempts to get him, all their attempts to entrap him in his thought, in his talk, all their attempts to stone him, their attempt one time to throw him off of a precipice. There, uh, they had attempted to take him at other times, but Jesus always was able to maneuver around that. But now they come for him and he says, yeah, that's who, you, who are you seeking? Jesus of Nazareth. Well, that's me. And they take him and he is under arrest. Now tonight I'm going to be talking about his, uh, his trial and so we'll talk more about that. But this is a, uh, a serious thing for his disciples. And so uh, the first thing that uh, you see is that uh, the devil's going to use this 
on the disciples. The, the, the devil wants to use this on Peter. And so he has requested, or actually the scripture says he demanded to have Peter that he might sift him as wheat. And, uh, and I want you to remember that you and I have an enemy. No matter what you think, whether you think the devil is some guy in red pajamas with horns and a pitchfork, listen, the devil is real. He is real. There is a spiritual warfare going on in this world, and the enemy hates God's people, and the enemy hated Peter. No wonder Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, that, uh, be, uh, uh, be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, your adversary, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The devil had, had uh, plans for Peter. I want to, I want to get him. I want to grind him up. I want to, I want to sift him like wheat. Like they, they pulverize those kernels of wheat and the husk flies away. In the, that's what I want to do to Peter. And here's the thing. Apparently... Jesus is going to let him. Now here's the thing that we're going to have to keep in mind that Satan is subject to the authority of God. Satan does not do what he wants to. Some people say, well, here, here's, here's the, the good and the bad and the good God does, and the bad the devil does. And uh, there's a lot of things wrong with that, but the real point is that only God is the Almighty. There is no other power but what God gives. Every other creature, Every other creature has only the power and only the authority that God gives. And Satan is the same way. Remember, and I know this is very familiar and we say it a lot, but when the subject of Job came up, it was God who brought Job's name up when Satan came to, be, to appear before him. It was Jehovah, it was Yahweh who said, have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him in the earth that fears God and escheweth evil. Does he fear you for naught? Does he fear you for nothing? You take away that head you put around him and, he, and let me touch his possessions and he'll do He'll deny you to your face. He'll curse you to your face. And God said, all he has is in your hand. So notice, God's 
giving permission and God is setting the limits. Now, I'm not going to go through that whole thing, but it happens again that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't crush Job with that. And, and so the same scenario takes place again. Skin for skin, says the enemy. If you'll let me touch his flesh, he'll curse you to your face. And God says, okay, you can touch his flesh, but you can't touch his soul. He strikes him with sore boils from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And Job sits in the ash pile with a broken piece of pottery scraping the boils on his body and says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. And all this did Job not uh, curse God or... Uh, I can't remember how it goes, but in all this, he, he honored God. Mm -hmm. But you see, the point that I'm making here is not just about Job, but it's about the limits that Satan has. So always keep that in mind. And apparently, this is one of those things where uh, there was... God allowed that uh, Satan could sift Peter. And <clears throat> as I said, he longs to attack each of us, God's people. But here's another thing that we need to keep in mind. And I'm going to get, I got to get through all this. But uh, if he is allowed to touch us, if he is allowed to sift us, it's for a good reason. God has a purpose in it. But then remember this also. We do have an intercessor. We do have one. This is what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Satan hath demanded to have you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. We ought to just stop right there and just say hallelujah. We have an intercessor, the one who keeps us from going back to sin, the one who keeps us. Now, I know we will stumble sometimes, and we do sin occasionally, but the, well, I'll speak for myself more than occasionally. But we have an intercessor. We have one who is for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? I'll ask it another way. If God's for us, what does it matter who's against us? Well, this is one of those things that this apparently is something that was needful for Peter. This was something that God allowed to happen in Peter's life. And so uh, <clears throat> let me uh, point this out also that when we look at this account here in Mark's gospel, 
of uh, what's going on with Jesus and what's going on with Peter, I think there's something that God is doing here. I think something that Mark is doing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and that is that he wants us to see a great contrast between how Jesus, how Jesus it, uh, uh, receives the accusations of people and his accusations, the accusations against him were all false and the accusations against Peter were all true. Jesus was accused uh, by the high priests, the religious leaders, the, the chief, the, this is the cultural head of Jewish, uh, uh, all Jewish culture. He is before the high priest and the Jewish Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin, 70 to 71 men, they're all there to judge Jesus and Peter Jesus stands boldly and Peter trembles and denies Christ before a slave girl. So there's a great contrast. We see the power of Jesus and this is not Jesus acting in divine power. But as we talked about before in Gethsemane, this is Jesus depending on the power of the Holy Spirit, just like you and I should depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he faces the enemies. He faces the high priest. And again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but this is a great contrast that uh, that we can see here and this contrast mark has done this before remember it was uh in uh, the first chapter of mark when jesus after his baptism and the holy spirit descends on him he goes out into the wilderness out into uh the no man's land and is tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights or he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and later was tempted of the devil and uh, and this is a contrast too wasn't it it was a contrast between adam and his temptation when adam was tempted he was tempted in the garden of eden in the best of circumstances with Plenty of food already in his belly and no needs whatsoever. Jesus is tempted in the wilderness after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. <clears throat> so uh, there's a great contrast there. But here we see Peter and, uh, and we don't, he is singled out because of uh, no doubt because God wanted us to know this and wanted to uh, record this for us, for our learning and our encouragement, but also Peter needed it. <clears throat> but it's not an isolated 
thing. It's not something that just happens in verses uh, uh, 66 through 72. <coughs> there was a process. And I don't have time to go through all of it, but, but listen, there's uh, some steps that took place. And in verse 29, I think we can see pretty clearly that Peter's got some self-confidence issues. Self-confidence. Self-confidence is one of those things that uh, the philosophy of the world treasures and prizes. You should have confidence in yourself. You should have high self-esteem. And the problem with most of humanity is not a lack of self-esteem. It's an overabundance of self-esteem. But uh, the world says that you should have self-confidence. It's self-dependence, self-esteem. Assuming, assuming, when I talk about self-confidence, I am assuming that I have enough knowledge, I have enough wisdom, I have enough strength, I have enough capability to take on and overcome any obstacle or any battle that I face. Woo. <laughs> Yay for me. But the problem is, in Peter's case, he didn't even know where the battle was. He didn't know what the battle was. It was a spiritual battle, and he's fighting it with a sword. It's a spiritual battle, and he thinks... I've been with Jesus for three years plus. I've heard his teaching. I have been sent out with power to cast out demons. I'm, I am more than capable of this task. <clears throat> Self-confidence. I saw uh, a, a, someone dear to me this morning puts something on Facebook, a a. A picture on Facebook, confidence is contagious. It's the, it, it's the philosophy of the world. I'm telling you, confidence may be contagious, but confidence is disastrous. I don't trust me. And you shouldn't trust me either. And you shouldn't trust yourself. <laughs> oh, listen. The dangers that, uh, that I don't even know. I, I, don't, I can't have self-confidence. I don't know where the next attack's going to come from. I don't know how to beat those attacks i don't know how to overcome them the only weapons i have is the word of god and prayer in the holy spirit that's all i have not and i separated these but they they're they're two sides of the same coin coin self-esteem or self-confidence and pride pride is self-confidence Pride leads to self-confidence. 
the disciples have just been disputing. If you read Luke's account, the disciples have just been disputing about who is the greatest among them. And Peter probably had a lot to say, I would assume, about who's the greatest. I'm the one who called it right when he said, who do men say that I am? I'm the one who uh, Jesus said, uh, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and I give to you the king's keys of the kingdom. I am no doubt the greatest. Well, I'm telling you, that is some really dangerous thinking. Just to have it in your mind. You see, and listen, there's other reasons why he might have pride in Jewish culture. It's, uh, they, they felt like, no, don't please don't uh, get angry with me. I'm talking about Jewish culture. It's better to be a man than a woman. It's better to be the Jew, a Jew than a Gentile. And, uh, and it's better to be one of Jesus' disciples than not one of Jesus' disciples. It's better to be one of Jesus' followers. Jesus had said a lot of great things to Peter and encouraged him in a lot of ways. But let me say that I don't, it doesn't matter how, uh, what you are nationally, what you are physically, what you are ethnically, what you are uh, religiously, you can still fall. Just as Peter did. Another step in this uh, uh, crushing or the sifting of Peter was prayerlessness. We can read it in verses 34, 37, 39, 41. That self-confidence is what destroys prayerfulness. Our prayer life will be destroyed if we have self-confidence because your self-confidence is going to either, one or the other is going to say, I either don't need God or I don't want Him. If you're a prayerless person, that's, I, I don't mean to be offensive, but that's, that's what you're saying. Either I don't need Him or I don't want Him. And then, number four, there's some drifting that took place. He's following Jesus at a distance. Following Jesus at a distance. What a, what a horrible thought. And, I know, and some people have said, oh, you don't need to take that out of context and make a big point of it. But there is something here. Peter is following him at a distance. And he followed him right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. He is not only with uh, uh, following Jesus uh, from afar and following him at a distance, but he's with his enemies. Drifting. You can't, if you're not walking with him, then you're falling behind. If you're not moving forward, you're, you're falling behind. I don't have time to spend on that, but you remember Enoch. The Bible said Enoch walked with God. 
when you walk with God, there's got to be a starting place. There's got to be a mutual pace. <laughs> there's got to be a common destination. You can't walk with God if, if you don't have those things. Fifth, there are worldly companions. This is steps downward toward denying Christ. The enemies of Christ. And here, this is something we need to learn. The enemies of Christ are our enemies. And if you're accompanying with the enemies of Christ, know this, they will never be satisfied with you just coming and hanging out with them every once in a while. They're never going to be satisfied until you deny Christ. Remember, remember way back in Sodom when those, uh, those wicked men came to Lot's door? They'd seen those angels go in and they made that horrible proposition. You know, it wasn't much of a proposition. It was a demand, bring them out to us that we may know them. What a horrible, horrible thing. And, and Lot says, I've got daughters that have never known a man. I'll, I'll give them to you. They were not going to be satisfied until they had defiled all of Lot's house. It's the same way in our society today. That crowd, that same crowd, that crowd from Sodom is never going to be satisfied with us just giving them the same rights and privileges as others. They want us to join. They want us to approve of what they do. And so, he's got these worldly companions. And then comes the denial. Number six, denial. There's three of them. First one, she says, you're, a, you're with that Nazarene. And that's a, man, it's already time to stop. That Nazarene, you know, and, and Pastor Art talked about it this morning, that uh, place where nothing good can come from Nazareth, right? Does anything good come from Nazareth? It's a, it's a slummy place. You might say the the poor white trash come from there, or the poor beige trash, whatever Jewish were. But, you know, it's just a terror. It was a, a, a slam, a slur. And Peter says, no, <laughs> no, I don't know him. This is his opportunity to take a stand for Jesus, but he's not willing to bear that reproach. He don't, he said, I don't even know or understand what you're talking about, who you're talking about. And, and this is the most well-known name in the city at that moment, right? Mm -hmm. And he's actually being judged right in the floor right above Peter's head. I don't even know who you're talking about. Mm -hmm. The second one, he has another opportunity. He, but the scripture says he he denied him, and it's in the imperfect tense, which means he just kept on. He's 
He's digging in his heels. You have to keep telling lies. When you tell a lie, you have to just keep stacking lies on top of lies. And, and, uh, and he's, he's digging in his heels. And then the third time, verses 70 through 72, about an hour had passed according to Luke. A relative of Malchus, and this is, you can read John's account, says, I saw you with him. You're one of them. And he begins to curse and deny, I don't know the guy. And then the rooster crows. Well, there's the crushing. He goes out and weeps bitterly. But the last one, I just, uh, sorry, uh, but uh, I, I need to give you this last point here. So we've got the, the pride, we've got uh, the self-confidence, we have got the prayerlessness, the drifting, the worldly companions, the denial, the crushing finally comes. But then number eight, this is important. This is what I want you to get. Then comes effective ministry. After the crushing. After the crushing, Jesus said to him, Satan hath desired to have you, that he might crush you or sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. And after you have been converted, or after you've returned to me, strengthen the brethren. Peter got it. Read First Peter chapter 5 sometime. Peter got it. <laughs> Job chapter 23 and verse number 10. He knows the way that I take. And when he's tried me or tested me, I'll come forth as good. Mm -hmm. Psalm 34. We read you just a few verses and we'll be through. Psalm 34. Verse number 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Crushed. A crushed spirit. Psalm 51, 17. You should write these passages down. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices. Well, let me start with verse 16. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. This is the psalmist, you know, when he's uh, praying his prayer of repentance after the sin with Bathsheba. He says, you do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Mm -hmm. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 57. Isaiah 57 and verse number 
15. For thus says the high and lofty one. Who is that? Who is that high and lofty one? Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and with him who is who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. <coughs> and then 66.2. We'll let you go in a minute. Not charging any extra. Heaven is my throne, beginning in verse 1. Thus says Jehovah, Yahweh. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made. You can't give me anything. I already made everything that there is. All these things, all those things that exist, says Jehovah. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. James said, count it all joy when you fall into divers' testings. Knowing that testing works patience and patience experience or patience uh, yeah but have, let patience have her perfect work that ye might be perfect and entire wanting nothing Romans 5 1 and following therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have faith, access by faith into this grace wherein we stand but rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we glory in tribulation also. Knowing that tribulation works patience. Get that mixed up with James sometimes. Tribulation work of patience, patience, experience, experience, hope. Listen, you can be too good for God to use. You can't be too bad <laughs> I'm, please try to understand what I'm saying here those of us who realize that we are nothing that we are we have nothing to offer him but just our sinfulness he will take us and mold us and shape us like the potter did with that vessel that was marred in his hands he can use broken people. You can be too <clears throat> you can be too smart for God to use. You can't be too too dumb. You can be too self-confident for God to use. You can be too proud. You can be too sure of yourself for God to use. But his strength is made perfect in weakness. Mm -hmm. 
You want successful ministry. Do we want to see God move and use us for his glory? Then we must be broken. Broken people that he can take and refashion us and use us for his glory. Let's pray. Father, take these <clears throat> scattered, scattered thoughts and somehow make them coherent and uh, hang together enough for people to understand and use it to make us stronger in you. Weaker in confidence in the flesh, but stronger in you. In Jesus' name.